stomach aching. Morning star veggie bacon. Go good with the grits. Now let's take it back for real. Eating good vegetarian with the brown rice. I will trust. I will trust. I will trust. It. You trust me? What? Do you trust me? Yes. Then Why? I'd show in the early 2000s that countries with a higher proportion of trustworthy people are more prosperous. So in these countries, more economic transactions occur and more wealth is created, alleviating poverty. That's, That's enough. <laughs> um, welcome to the, another episode of Chill and Ambitious, the podcast that points out shit you didn't know was relevant. I'm O. And I'm No, and, and you, you can, can call, call us, oh, oh No. no. <laughs> oh, I freeded that. Anyway. <laughs> huh? Nothing. Um, so, oh, have you ever had to make a snap judgment about a person or a tough situation? I live in New York City. So I, I feel like I do that all the time about like, I don't know, I'm also someone who like talks to strangers like pretty frequently and I... I don't know, I guess I very much trust my instinct when I do that. And or like I kind of give the benefit of doubt, like I'll like feel them feel them out, but I have I there's a kind of a spidey sense I feel like if I start getting uncomfortable cuz that threshold is pretty high for me. So if that starts like <laughs> ringing cuz I feel like most other people like oh, that person looks weird and they won't talk to them, but if that starts ringing for me, I'm like, "Okay, this conversation with the drunk like weirdo probably should end now." That so your creeper spidey sense is like somewhat delayed but very heightened at the same time. Yeah, I don't know. Um well, you know, your brain actually makes a snap decision about whether or not it trusts somebody within 33 milliseconds. 33 milliseconds. That's all it takes. Um, to figure out if it's friend or foe. Yep, totally. And the reason we're talking about this is actually because um, our life innovator today, uh, his name is Pascal. He is a partner at Season Vegan in Harlem. Right. Uh, Season Vegan is one of the few healthy oases you can find in an otherwise thought of food desert. Um, yeah. So it's a nice alternative so people can actually eat well. and. Um, you know, live positively. Yeah. And um, they're very involved in their community and their neighborhood. Um, all of the neighbors love them. Uh, so, yeah, but actually Pascal got involved uh, with Seized Vegan by volunteering his time. Uh, his friend was is one of the business owners and Pascal volunteered with some, um, some of the business side, um, helping them kind of track orders and whatever. And he volunteered for several years um, because he just believed in it and he, and they grew such a rapport and they trusted him so much that they actually offered him partnership uh, in the business. And now he runs their daily operations. Yeah, it's a pretty amazing story. And uh, we decided to talk about trust today because we just thought that was such a demonstration of it coming from both sides. Uh, Pascal was just trying to build his resume. So the business was just trusting him with you know, pretty much all their finances. You know, That's intimate stuff with a business that can make or break a business. And uh, Pascal, on the other hand, was just trusting that they were going to appreciate him and do something positive um, or not even think about necessarily what comes in return, but they weren't going to abuse his um, assistance, which he, like you said, like two or three years, just every time after work from his full-time job. Yeah, absolutely. And it really paid off and um, they're running the business together now. So um, 
What's yeah, let's is? let him tell his own story. So welcome, Pascal. I know if I'm generous at heart, I don't need recognition. The way I'm rewarded, well, that's God's decision. I know you know that lines for Captain School. When I first went in there, I mean, my partner, it's my, it's my friend from college and his mom. And so when I first started working with them, uh, it was really just about like, listen, you guys need some stuff done. I need some stuff on my resume. So let me come in here and help you out. And they trusted me enough based off of our previous relationship to have me come in there and do some things that could really determine the functionality of the business going forward. And like, what kind of things were those? Well, so I started out, I built a, um, a, an accounting workbook. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, the function of what QuickBooks does, but on Excel, um, so that they could just track their expenses and their revenues so that they could pay their taxes, right. file their taxes <laughs> at the end of the year, you know? It's the knowing part of running a business. Right. Yeah. That's the building blocks of everything right there. Yeah. So um, I built that and, you know, over time I realized that my skill set was not something that necessarily everyone else shared. And I got more and more involved with the business, um, designed and helped build the business plan, uh, did an investor presentation with Aaron, who is my partner. And, um, and you know, just over time, they, we all worked together to build this business and while it, in the beginning it was just um, something to build my resume, as I got more and more ingrained, we became more of a partnership. And uh, about yeah, how long into t- that? Yeah, about two or three years into it. Wow. Um, yeah, Mrs. Beaner, Miss, um, sh- she's our other partner. She's the one who really conceived this entire dream. Um, she came to me one day and she was like, "Pascal, I really appreciate everything you've done for me, and I'd like to offer you some ownership." And from there, it's... That's so what's up, though. Wait, so for two or three years, though, you were just doing it as a, as a service, just for, um, without getting paid? Yeah, yeah. I, um, I had a regular job. I worked nine to five or six or seven or eight or <laughs> whatever was <laughs> required. Um, but then I would leave that job and I'd go over to their house and we would work on the business. Um, Aaron's one of my best friends. We were tight in college. And so like it ended up being as much hanging out as anything else. But my dad was an entrepreneur. So I, I've kind of been ingrained with that. But you know, you got to give a little. Well, give a little. Yeah. <laughs> <I wish you laughs> give a little, little. little two, three years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, Wait, so, I saw a can... good product and I was like, you know, I want to be involved. And I wasn't even thinking about ownership. Like they're they became like family and I wanted to help them out, make sure that they were successful. Is that just an instinct on your part or were there like little moments, can you recall, where you were like, oh, wow, I'm family now? Um, there were definitely moments, but it was, it, I, I have this obsession of doing things for people for free. <laughs> Like, all right. it's, it's all like, right. it's my own, it's, yeah, it's, it's weird and it's bad. It's, it's this narcissism that I have. It's like, I think that I'm really good at doing things. So I want to do them for people so that they can see that I'm good at doing things. Like, mm. I think that that's kind of where it's rooted. Ooh. And so it's like, I feel happy from doing things for people. So it's like, it's a selfish want, but it ends up helping others. Look at this self-reflection going on over here. <laughs> <laughs> that's, but, that's funny. Beneficial, mutually yeah. beneficial, I guess. What about receiver? when you were a kid? Did you do like what's like an example of that? When from like when you were a kid, was this like always a tendency of yours? Mm-hmm. 
Well, no, it's developed. Because when I was a kid, I was just a show off. It would only (laughs) benefit myself. You know, like I would, I would want to perform. Like my mom was always telling me, she'd be like, Pascal, this is not the Pascal show. (laughs) (laughs) Why not though? Everyone's here. (laughs) Your jokes aren't funny. Stop the comedy. (laughs) Exactly. You can't sing. Like, please go somewhere and twiddle your thumbs. Um, But I think that it developed from me, like wanting to just like be the center of attention to like, well, let me show off in a different way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, let me help people wash and show off. And like when you're a kid, like nobody's like giving you that responsibility to like help take care of people or like help, you know. There so yeah, you're it is like going to be like all about it's going to be all about you. Well, so what do you think makes someone trustworthy? Um, I would probably say that really it's about honesty Uh and honesty to me is a really tricky word because you can I feel like you can probably lie to someone and still be honest Mm. you know (laughs) and that I kind of work in dualities a lot in my life you know Um, I like to think that everything is black and everything is white and nothing is black and nothing is white you know Mm. and so it's like you can be honest with yourself by lying to someone else. You know, like if you make, if you're trying to make someone feel good, you uh-huh. know, and it's not really that important of a question that they're asking you. Like a white lie? Like a, well, like a white lie or, yeah. Um, or like, you know, do you want to come over here and help me out? Honestly, no. But am I going to say that? Well, that's that's more like, but is that somebody really asking you what you want, or it's just a kind way of a, like kind way of asking for help? You know, like like when people say like, uh, "Do you want to do me a favor?" Like nobody act, like like it's not actually like that big of a deal to do somebody a favor, but sometimes it's something that you should be doing anyway. Yeah, like, and it's, it's not helpful if you're actually like, "No, I don't want to." And then there's this guilt and no one wants to like ask you again. And then, I mean, unless that's like the the desired outcome you want, you know, if you want to be the person that someone won't ask you, but if you want to be there for somebody. (laughs) On the other side of it though, is that like, if you have a long stay, a a relationship that could be long with someone, Mm -hmm. right? And they ask you to do things that you don't want to do. Over time, that gets really annoying for you. Totally. But you're not telling them that you don't want to do it. So there's no way for them to know. Okay. Right? So it's like, in that instance, you probably should be telling them, no, I don't want to do it. Yeah, but sometimes, but then there's that like give and take thing too, because that's part of the trust is like that you're going to have a stronger relationship if somebody, like if you sometimes do things, you're going to have to do things you don't want to do in life regardless. Mm -hmm. So it's like, but part of it is your outlook on it. If you're like, oh shit, like somebody's like, um, like you're like I hate going to the furniture store with you, and you love going to find furniture at antique stores, and I hate it so much. But like, maybe it's okay that like you go once in a while. Let them know you're it's not your favorite, but you do it for them. But you don't hold it over their heads, and then she'll go to Pat's games with you. You know, sure. Like <laughs> sure. otherwise, you're just gonna not do anything together, and you're gonna resent each other. 
I yeah, think, no, yeah. I, and I think that that's where like the honesty takes two sides. It's like you can you can play with your honesty a bit as long as you are conscious enough to know when it's important to be brutally honest and when it's important not to be. That's definitely situational. Because then yeah. if it's like, you know, if it becomes a bigger time commitment though and say you're actually really stressed with work or something and then it starts being uh, like whose things are more important if one person's always just like conceding for the other one because they don't want to make the other person uncomfortable but the other person's actually got like 10 zillion things on their plate and they're yeah it's i mean that's a problematic too because it's just like a problem waiting to erupt and then the person's gonna be like why is this person yelling at me (laughs) (laughs) well you know funny so like they actually um this this author, uh, Paul Zak, who wrote The Moral Molecule, How Trust Works. Um, he basically like gets trust down to what he calls, he says it's, it's functioned by a single molecule, which is um, called oxytocin, which you guys know is like the, like it, it brings you joy, like makes you want to cuddle, all that stuff. Um, it's uh, the hormone that controls our empathy, morality, and connection. Mm. So, like actually when we first meet somebody in that 33 milliseconds, did I say 33 milliseconds earlier or did I say? You 30? said milliseconds. Okay. Okay, cool. I just wanted to make sure that I said it right the first time. Anyway, uh, the 33 milliseconds, your brain is trying to constantly do is like, is to be open and be like available to build like, well, good relationships. And then it's also trying to be cautious and protect you from toxic, you know, situations, people. So like, that's why you make a snap judgment. Mm. Um, but it's actually really interesting though because the more you feel connected to someone the more oxytocin that you'll have pumping through your body so um, that's where I trust is so important in all of these situations like in any part of your life it's just because the more you know connected you're going to feel the more actually happy you're also going to feel <laughs> and that's why like people who are in toxic relationships are like whatever is it, they're just, is like, it they're addictive? So, I would imagine it and, is. And like contagious. So, right? like, so like you like enter into something with more oxytocin and you're like more open. Maybe you can like overcome someone who was probably going to rob you, but they were like, oh, you're just so pleasant. <laughs> I can't rob you. Well, maybe not to that degree, but maybe. But also like, you know, at the restaurant, like you get people that come in and maybe they've had a bad day or maybe they're just like a a surly person in general, but you come in and like, we try to just throw as much love as possible at people. And it's really hard to be salty and have a bad attitude with someone that is just like exuding positivity. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually had a, so I used to wait tables <laughs> and I don't know if it's bad or good, but I remember at one time I, um, I checked on a table and I was like, Oh, how is your food? And the guy actually, um, was very honest with me. He actually was like, oh, actually, it's a little overcooked. Da, 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 da. And I was like, okay, well, let me see if I can fix that for you. And then he paused. He's like, I'm so sorry. Like, I work in restaurants and like, I would normally not say anything, but you just seem like genuinely concerned about the state of my food. <laughs> and then like the truth came out and I like, I don't know, I feel really rude now that I even said anything because it's, it's fine. And I'm like, I'm going <laughs> to fix this for you. And he like actually like tried to backpedal. 
afterwards, but I guess I caught him in a way where he was like, she seemed like she actually cared. Because that that empathy got to him. (laughs) Well, so actually the researchers found that when, so like they would give people a nasal spray with the hormone oxytocin and... They found Where do you that. Get that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure this was in Actually, a. Is this just someone. Molly? It's, Mo- it's Molly in a nasal Malfoy. spray. Yeah. Okay. Oh my God. Yeah, but they found that when they did it, and when people took it, like they uh, immediately they were kinder, more compassionate, and cooperative and generous. Like so, it it is. I don't know if it's conti- if it's contagious, like through just talking to people, but like. When you have that kind of interaction, I guess like that, that lubrication of trust is really what it is. Like lubrication of trust. I just, okay. Nasal spray lubrication of trust. I meant when you come to someone with kindness, you're like lubricating. I'm trying that new pickup line. (laughs) Hey, baby. (laughs) Let me lubricate your trust with my oxytocin. Now you speak in my language. <laughs> now you're talking my language. Now you're talking my language. Being ready is real. I don't know about you. I think that this actually resonates. Like I think that the um the the addictiveness of that trust and that positivity is a real thing because it's like well, like we can just look at like structured examples. Like if you're smiling, it's that much more likely that people around you are going to be smiling or laughing. But um, I've been actually talking with my friends a lot about the resonance of sounds and how you speak to things and people. And um, there have been studies done about like if you have a, a jar of water, right? Or two jars of water, rather. And every day, to one of them, you say, I love you. And to the other one, you say, mm, I hate you. Those, yeah. It changes the molecular structure of the water to the point where it's like totally irrecognizable at a molecular le- molecular level. And this works with plants too. If you say, I love you to your plants, they're going to grow more full and more healthy. Whereas if you say, I hate you, then the the inverse. And so I think that like all of this, all of this, resonation right of your voice and of your mental your brain waves and all of this energy does permeate everything around you and so if you're putting forth positivity if you're saying positive words then the people around you will be affected by it and we know this from our own personal experience like when someone says i love you it gives you a little warm feeling inside right <laughs> and so it's like depends on who it is well there you go. <laughs> <laughs> depending but, on whether your receptors told you to run or not. <laughs> yeah. right? that's very true too but I, I do think that it's the, it's very possible that like that reaction could be a very addictive very chain reaction type of experience actually this was i apparently wasn't the nicest person in high school um, but I had some self-reflection at that point. And actually one of the things that encouraged me to be make an effort to be more positive in my everyday and maybe not just like on the whim of my emotions was like I never um, really subscribed to this idea of karma then. But someone was just saying it more like, well, if you're nice to people and we notice like they're also going to be nice too, at least like there's a higher chance on like a probability level, I mean, you still may have like bad things happen to you, <laughs> but like on a self-interested level, it's like you're more likely to be around other positive people right. and you're spreading positive energy. So, you know, 
Right. At least the chances are a bit higher. Totally, right? And I mean, like, <laughs> if, if you want to make it about yourself, if yeah. you're generally positive, you're going to approach situations with a generally positive nature. And so the things that you can control are probably going to come out with a positive outlook. But if you're generally negative, then the things that you can control, you're going to go into them negatively. And well, you yeah. know, like they say, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. You're right. That's so true. <laughs> Actually, funny enough, um, this is uh, um, Zach actually argues that this is a ver- like it's a vicious well not a vicious cycle a virtuous cycle because the oxytocin <laughs> generates the empath- em- generates it's empathy and that drives moral behavior upward spiral yes it's an upward spiral holy shit guys we found our upward spiral if you missed our last episode or uh, one of our earlier episodes we talk about we try to. Uh, Define what an upward spiral. <laughs> we were trying to we were trying to make up our own phrases. We were making our own language. Is this trickle up emotions? No, trickle up positivity. No, but but no, it was more like because we were talking about how a downward spiral is just like you know just takes everything all in. But like an upward spiral, like what is an upward spiral? Is it like taking in if you get too much positive feedback, do you become a monster or do you become like <laughs> a, like a monster of positive feedback or do you just it's become like a, a monster, a tornado of energy of positive energy? Who knows? I don't know, positive tornado. Yeah. Well, this Twister. might be it. Okay. Maybe because oxytocin generates empathy and that drives moral behavior, which inspires trust which causes the release of more oxytocin, which creates more empathy. So he calls this behavioral feedback loop the virtuous cycle. I just can't stop being so happy. (laughs) (laughs) Make it stop. I can't stop. (laughs) I'm so happy I could kill myself. I think we've all known those people growing up like, oh my God. I love to laugh. (laughs) Loud and long and clear. I like my whole house. My whole house is great. I can do anything good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> he, <laughs> he also argues, though, that being able to rely on others to deliver what they promise is a more powerful factor in a country's economic development than education, access to resources, or anything else. Hmm. Hmm. Reliability, huh? That ties in very nicely, actually, with something we talked about earlier, Pascal, in terms of um, at the restaurant, you uh, are, are you responsible or at least have helped with uh, human resources hiring the staff? Yes, I have. The boss to do the firing and hiring. I've had a fair amount of human resources involvement since I graduated college. And I do not, or no, I relish the day that it's no longer part of my responsibility <laughs> list. <laughs> but you were saying, actually, um, that you value um, the person's character and level of trust more than maybe their hard skills. Yes, and um, that's actually one of the reasons that um, we as owners are directly involved in it. Um, and do all of the hiring um, is because in a restaurant, we work really close together for sometimes really long hours and for shifts that can be really stressful. And so 
the most important part about their job is making sure that there's no contention and making sure that there's no drama. Because as soon as one person starts acting up, then it's just like it permeates to everyone else <laughs> mm-hmm. in the group. Yeah. And it's just like everyone has a bad attitude and it's just, it's bad. Because like we were talking about before about energy and how it reacts with plant life and with water i mean like yes, if you're cooking speak, yeah. food with, with with bad feelings then like it's going to come out in the food and so we like radical we are a family business at the base like aaron and his mother they're the ones who started all this and then aaron and i went to school together at a school that really promotes brotherhood and unity so we're more house brothers together and so is the three of us. And then the more people we kept on adding on, it was like, we just want this to be like a family. And as we're hiring staff members, well, we get to pick our family. Yeah, <laughs> so you do it for a community. We're, right, we're, we're picking people that we know that we can work 15 hours with and it's not going to be... It's going to be all right. Right, they're not going to be issues. And so it's really important that they just that we resonate and so our interview process isn't even about figuring out if you can serve properly you know serving as far as i my experience goes is a lot more experiential than anything else so what we're trying to figure out is can we vibe like can we be here all day every day for the next 10 years How do you do that in a short period of time? Or do you kind of have like stages or how do you... We just talk. You just talk. We just talk. Sometimes we get it wrong. Yeah. Um, you know, like we have turnover. We're a restaurant that's natural. So we talk to the people. We One thing that I like to look at is how much do you smile? Mm. You know, because smiling is really indicative of what type of a person you are. And just because you don't smile mean, doesn't mean that you're a bad person. But if you're smiling a lot in our interview, then... That at least is a good, um, uh, indicator. good indicator of what you're going to be like on a day to day. It's also yeah. good wait staff practice. Again, I yeah. was I was waiting tables, and I generally characterize as someone who smiles, but I don't consciously think about it. Mm-hmm. And I had my boss just tell me he's she was like Olivia, just make sure at any moment you can that you're smiling throughout the whole wait sta- waiting uh, process. And my tips like doubled. Yeah, just because yeah. I was consciously trying to smile as much as possible. <laughs> totally. Yeah, actually, I met Pascal years ago, back when I used to bartend at this place uptown, and I was also like, yeah, I was a bartender and I waitress there some nights too. And for those of you that don't know, No is one of the smiliest per people that you will meet. <laughs> well, I don't think I am that much anymore. I think part of it is New York, but like, I also it was great to be around people. Like when you have to be around people all the time. Like first of all, the energy is infectious. Like I like I like meeting people and stuff, and like you kind of have to be like you're tip based too. <laughs> tip based, like not yet, not like oh, I like I genuinely like if I like somebody or whatever, then I actually like that person. But like, yeah, you're gonna be more likable. And honestly, you tend to like people more when you're smiling. Yeah, you you're have like to fake the whole process. Yeah, yeah no, you got upward spiral with that upward spiral. <laughs> yeah, actually, actually, Amy Cuddy. I know we always I always reference her, but Amy Cuddy in that TED talk about body language and power posing. That like, if you put a pencil in your teeth and it forces it forces you to have a smiling position, it actually improves your mood. Like, you will continue to smile after you take that pencil out. That's just my favorite part of yoga. Is like holding crazy, like not crazy poses, but like a pose in your that, face. 
No, not the pen, uh, not the pencil part. That oh yeah, if you haven't heard about new that new yoga, where you like stick pencils in your mouth. I don't know. Face yoga. Yeah. How much you want? How much you want to bet the face yoga is going to come out? Oh yeah. Two months oh yeah. Ago, you're right. right. I'm so, uh, people were patenting this. So. Yeah. <laughs> you heard it here. You, you heard, heard it here. here. Face yoga. Oh yeah. Why isn't that a thing? Actually, it's not a bad idea. Actually, <laughs> actually, I've been trying to figure out how to do for the longest time how to do exercises to like tighten your neck because you know just when you get older your neck gets like oh you, that. she got that yoga neck I want to get it I want to figure out how you can do like neck exercises and like keep your like you can exercise any other muscle on your body why can't you exercise the muscles on your face to be tighter uh-huh. like except for have you noticed that like people who cycle have like really like they tend to have like much tighter faces like their skin's tighter I don't know what it is I'm trying to figure it out how do I do it without how do I do it without all the cycling <laughs> I don't know when I'm when I'm really pushing myself on my bike. I feel like I might tense up in my face, but I'm not that conscious of it, so I can't really say. But, but okay. it would make it would stand a reason that like if your face is really tense a lot. <laughs> well, thank you way. for saying that because that's my actual yoga story. Okay, is that a big part of it? Is that you're supposed to keep your face relaxed? So even when you're like in chair pose and you're in the squat, which is like fine for the first few seconds but and then you, you want it for a while die. you just want to die especially, especially if you're in like, Bikram especially if you're doing it in Bikram yeah then I mean really die. well like any of it or if you've done a bunch of you know they usually build you up to that that's usually closer to the end so you've already exercised a lot of your other muscles um, a big part of it is being able to relax your face during it and even maybe even smile and it actually does make it easier and it is kind of this rewiring of your brain during um parts where it seems uncomfortable and it's actually one of my favorite parts of yoga because you really play with that mind-body thing because there's definitely times when you're like okay my, my muscles are actually crapping out now but most of the time it's your mind being like this sucks I'm over this why won't this be over and if you just start smiling you can actually get in this other phase where you realize how much your mind was like talking you out of this chair pose and it wasn't even your muscles. Well, that right there, what you just said is like so key to life and something that I feel like a lot of people don't even like conceive, let alone try to master is like the power of what you tell yourself. Like all my employees, like anytime, really any of my friends at all, when they're like, Ugh, I don't want to go to work. I'm like, well, of course you don't. You're telling yourself you don't want to go to work. Like, <laughs> and they're like, go you, away. <laughs> they, yeah, they say that a lot. You're not but, believe it, yeah. No, but like, it's like, even if you don't want to go to work, you just tell yourself you do and it's not as bad because it's like, before you know it, you're gone and you're home and you're drinking again. And that's really what you're talking, what you're saying. It's like, I really just want to sit home and drink beer and play video games. That's really what you're saying when you're saying you yeah. don't want to go to work. Because we're lazy. Yeah, right? In, in general. But I told, no, I was like, is it your to-do list or is it your get to-do list? You're like, shut <laughs> up. <laughs> sometimes, hey, sometimes it is the get to-do list. And as you know, sometimes- I get to pay rent. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> Which is a great thing because people that don't get to pay rent. Yeah. 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 It's true. <laughs> it's all, you know, it's all glass half- Whatever. Right. <laughs> Class half full of bile or. Oh, what did what you call it? Lubricant? I called it. Uh, <laughs> it was a, a tr- what did I call it? Trust lubricant? Uh, or? Oxytocin lubricant half, half full. Um, half nasal empty. spray half full. So my yeah. nasal yeah. spray is half empty. <laughs>
<laughs> um, lubricant for your upward spiral. <laughs> oh my god, oxytocin. Yes. Okay, but seriously, face yoga. Let's talk about so this. many great. Maybe it's your entrepreneurial energy. Yeah. We're just like okay, face yoga. I gotta start. I gotta start like no, apologizing to my plants. Um, you need to put Molly into uh, into nose the sprays. Plant. Yeah. No, like, into nose sprays. Into na- nose, nasal right? sprays. So, yeah, so we can like undercut the oxytocin market. And I'm sure I have actually I know a chemist who could probably find a legal way to you know oh, sure. <laughs> totally. isolate the oxytocin. <laughs> <laughs> we could get it from uh from, so if we have to get from approved. quote unquote lab rats yeah. from the subway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so I was at the restaurant the other night and then like you had a really, really great rapport with um with everyone you were working with. Like if there was a problem, you were just kinda like, hold up, like let's fix this, like let's do this. And I was actually I was telling you this, I was like surprised by how patient and like kind you were. Like and not to say that I don't think that you're but I just don't know you in that capacity, right? Like I knew that you I knew you before when you were working more um on like financial side when you were doing your nine to five and you kind of seemed more tense in general. And like, so it was kind of really, and I haven't seen you in, in a few years. So like, it was really surprising though. It's like, Oh, he's being so like Zen about this and like being really like, um, understanding. Do you feel like you've like, was there a turning point when you like learned that or what? It's something that I've been trying to work on my whole life basically. Um, I'm lucky that I was very, I think the word is present, prescient. Prescient? No, no. I was very self-aware. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I realized what my less than favorable traits were and I tried to work on them. I realized I procrastinated a lot. Um, I realized, Mm -hmm. yeah, right. Um, I, one thing I really realized though, was that like, I have people in my family that have anger issues Mm. and, some of them have dealt with them, some of them have not. But I looked at that and I was just like, this doesn't make any sense to me. Mm. But then also like, I would see that like, let's say my sister, my sister and I would get into a fight mm-hmm. and I would like take it really tough and I'd be upset. And then she would just whatever, brush it off, go watch TV and think nothing of it. And I was just like, how can you do that? I'm so disappointed. I'm so upset right now. I'm mad with you, but you're just so calm over there looking like you don't care two things about it. And I realized that it's like, it's perspective. Yeah. Right? And as I got older, I realized that the more that I dwelled on things, the worse they got. Mm. And the more that I had a bad attitude with things, the worse they got. And so, especially with this process of working with my partners and opening the restaurant, we've gotten to points where we're, we get really heated because, I mean, like, yeah. every, all day, every day. Yeah. You know yeah what it's, I mean? it's hard having Bam. a work wife, work husband, work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. But like, <laughs> it's hard. During this process specifically, I've learned a lot about how to just like not respond right away, take a breath, and then respond in a calm and even tone and how far that goes towards keeping the conversation calm and how people don't get on the defensive or on the offensive when you speak like that. Or if they do, then it's easy for you to be like, calm down, I'm calm, let's have you be calm too. Because we're not trying to fight here. Yeah. Trying to figure out a problem. Trying to figure out what went wrong so we can fix it so it doesn't happen again. And fighting doesn't do anything for that. That's so key. Yeah. 
That's so very chill and ambitious of you. We're always like yeah. the point of the point of these is like recognizing how you can grow constantly, like how you know, um, and applying that. So that's like it, but it's so hard to be self aware. Do you have indicators? Do you kind of either start to feel the tension when you know you have to like take some breaths, or I, you said you take some breaths before, like take a moment pause. You ever like have to take a walk, or like what do you? No, I don't need to take a walk. It's not. It, Never gets that way. Yeah, I think that um, I've had to go take a walk once in the last five years of working on the restaurant. That's good. That's pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I can feel myself getting riled up. I know things that will upset me, you Uh know, people making the same mistakes over again or, you know, us losing money because of someone's negligence. Like that'll upset me, but I have enough experience with disappointment in the workplace that is not necessarily of my doing or that is, that's like, I realize that it's not the end of the world. And so every time it happens, I just try to start out with a breath. And so it doesn't always work. Sometimes I get into shouting matches with people. And at that point, I need to be like, whoa, all right, I need to step back. Like, I really need to calm down because it's really not that serious. Yeah. You know, like no matter what it is, it's really not that serious. Yeah. Yeah. And like the whole premise of a restaurant is like it brings community together. People come and eat together. They share that they share a meal. That's usually when you share like in a conversation with somebody that you care about. Like it's a treat. Like you want to, yeah. Like it's so hard to ha- have negative energy in that space. I mean, actually, it's really easy to if you've worked in restaurants. You know, like a lot of people, it's easy to get caught up in the drama. It's contagious. But it's so like it seems like the most precious place. Well, to right ha- to have a good attitude because. Of I, just like from my experience, you need so much teamwork to get that food to the to the end point. Yeah, to the end point, and um, especially when you're busy, you know, and being able to like it's it requires a lot of observation and being aware of your surroundings. And at least in the restaurants I had worked in, you know, people really appreciated when you dropped a couple waters on someone else's table if like they were really busy. Just to make sure that the customers are happy yeah. at the end of the day. Teamwork makes the dream work. Yeah. Yeah. And really, I think what it comes down to is like getting over yourself. Yeah. Like that's one thing that we really try to do a lot between uh, we, the partners, is we try to get over ourselves. Because like, I feel like a lot of arguments happen because people are unable to get over their own feeling of self-importance because it's like especially when it comes to in the workplace like it's not about you it's not about me it's about the business and that's it do you guys pool tips or is it yeah 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 yeah, then that's important and then some are some people are like but i worked harder than him today we've gotten that but we 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 squished that from the jump we're like listen no we're not doing that here we do this like this so that you everyone that's on the floor feels like it's their responsibility to take care of every customer I just and think, when we when you say that, it's like, what are you gonna, what are you going to say to that? Yeah, you feel yeah. like you're working harder. Okay, I, I will acknowledge that, and I will try to get that person to work more efficiently. Come tell me when that happens, and I'll try to fix it. But, well, it's funny. I feel like <clears throat> that self importance comes from like not trusting other people, right? Right. That's what I'm, <laughs> I'm glad you said that. That's where I was going with it. Yeah. Right. Like you're not gonna, and that's why country. Like that's why I imagine that he argues that. That is more, the most important economic factor in the country's development. That is, guy Paul. That Paul's yeah, or Zach, Paul Zach. Yeah. Wow, Paul Zach. Paul <laughs> Zach. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Paul. Um, 
call back. But yeah, no, that actually totally makes sense. Like you don't care about your neighbor. Like you're not going to really care. Like a, a community in a country where everybody's like looking out for their brother and their sister and, you know, oh, this is, you know, my neighborhood is obviously going to do much, fare much better than the person who's like only out for themselves. Do y'all know who uh, Naomi Klein is? Yeah. Yes. So, Naomi <laughs> Klein has this uh, theory about, um, I think it's called otherism, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of the call- callousness that goes on in this world is because it happens to others. Mm-hmm. And as long as it benefits me and it hurts other people, then I'm okay with it. You know, I'm okay with driving my SUV even though we are driving this SUV because we bombed the hell out of True. 100,000 people in Iraq and before that in Kuwait and before that in Iran and before mm-hmm. that in Lebanon. And you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, like, it's okay. I'm okay with that as long as I don't, I'm not directly influenced by it. And it's the same thing with what you're saying about because it goes down to a micro level as well. It's like, yeah, I don't care about the, that boarded up house four blocks away because those are other people that's that doesn't really affect me but if it's next door to me then that affects me and all of a sudden it's a problem that's actually i like that you brought that back to like a very specific thing that happens in a community you you know who uh, theaster gates is Mm -mm. he is so incredible he was he's an urban planner and he actually used to work uh like in government like as an urban planner and he was like the same for me um he's a he's a famous artist but um he like he learned like his father was like i think his father made uh roofs when you know tiled roofs and stuff when he was young anyway what he's from south side of chicago and like really really like sketchy like well a very impoverished impoverished and economically challenged neighborhood and there's a lot of violence and whatever and he started because he sells works for tons of money he started selling works and taking the money from those works and buying up like old dilapidated buildings and houses in the community and just started building houses and like he bought an old record store that was going out of business and it's like a free place where people can go and listen to music and like he opened a cafe and he's like so he's hiring people from the community and he's doing this all himself mind you, like funding it through his like famous artworks that he's selling. And um, he actually just did this. I think it was like a really old bank um, in Chicago that they just reopened, but basically making these community spaces. And at first he was like, people just like didn't trust him because they were like, what the hell? Who's this guy like building this stuff in my <laughs> oh, neighborhood? Yeah. And he talked about how a couple times um, even kids like shot out some of the windows and so the thing and he's like oh i think they're just doing it because they're interested like if i just wish that i would have caught them because then i could have asked them to come in and like but it, it's such like an amazing uh like he's just so hands-on he's like well i couldn't wait for the government to do this or like whatever and actually in england they've had he's doing a project somewhere in england like in the projects helping them kind of bring the similar model so he's taken it into his own hands and I, <laughs> I just that's think that's tough. such like an interesting way to really talk about rebuilding community. But there's like, yeah, like even his own community didn't trust what he was doing at first because they were just like, well, why would someone do this? Yeah, and, you, <laughs> and that's where that time factor comes in. And I think it seems kind of, you know, little parallels to ha- what you were doing, Pascal, <laughs> in terms of like, I think trust, um, at least for me, 
finding people that you trust, there's like two parts to it. There's the intention that you're trying to figure out. So like, are they a friend or a foe? You know, mm-hmm. um, and when they're when they're helping you, like it's not that they can't have their own interest in it, but like, are they are they you know doing this to actually help you out and coming from a good place on it? And then there's the like trust in their ability, you know, uh, that they actually, you know, even though they have these intentions, like to mean well, like can they actually follow through with it? And it seems like uh, when you're he was struggling with those both aspects to develop that trust. You know, like you do it long enough and you're talking to people and you're engaging with them, telling them, explaining to them what you're doing in a neighborhood. Slowly, I think, you know, you start to build that trust and people can sense if you're being genuine about it by explaining your intentions. Um, but then I would imagine he was pretty effective at what he did too. So people oh, started yeah. really being like, oh, this is actually pretty cool and I could benefit from this. Yeah. So you like, can gain trust in that way. Absolutely. Trust in me in all you do. But all of these things, like these cultural centers of our of our like lives are really within our own neighborhoods. And that's why, you know, like that's why food is such a connector. That's why art is such a connector. And that's why we had to stay in Harlem. Yeah. No, <laughs> I love I love it. It's 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 lovely. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. I mean yeah, it, there was never any question um, what part of Manhattan it was going to be in. Uh, Aaron and his mom were born and raised in Harlem. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's like, <clears throat> that was never a question. Um, but the space itself, we, for lack of a better term, we were blessed with. Um, we looked at a bunch of different spots, as you can imagine, and for one reason or another, they would fall through. There was an application on it, or we weren't ready with our financing, or whatever, whatever, whatever. We found this spot. Location perfect is price great. point. Location is great. Because it's not on a main road like Lenox or 116th or 125th, but it's three blocks from the 23 train, which is um, right at Central Park North. So we're three parks from Central Park. I mean, nice. three blocks from yeah, Central yeah. Park. Yeah, yeah. That area is nice. And, um, and it's like, it's a perfect neighborhood for us because it's still a bit impoverished. So we're able to feed our community, which was our main thing. Like we wanted to bring healthy food to Harlem because anyone who knows anything about food deserts, yeah. Harlem is one of the notorious ones. Yeah, And um, there's no vegan restaurant between 90th Street and Pelham. No, I used to live on 116th like, and Lennox. Oh, word. Yeah, right around the corner. Yeah. So... Um, because of our experience in the community, we trusted that like we would be able to stay open for longer than a month. Well, yeah. how has the community responded to like the restaurant? I mean, I mean, you guys have been open for a long time. Do you do you find that like people are at first like, oh, I don't want vegan food, and then being like, what? This is amazing. <laughs> yeah, totally, all the time. Um, when we were doing our pop up shops, this was like five years ago now. Oh, so you did like a test model? Yeah, we we had pop up shops in Harlem. Um, in other people's uh, like locations, and I think that maybe half or more than half of our customers were non-vegans. There were just people from the neighborhood who had tried some food once and were like, "Yo, this is bomb! I want some more." And so, when we opened up the restaurant, we figured that we would be able to maintain just off of the vegans. Mm-hmm. Like that's basically how we set our model up, but. Um, we knew the type of impact we had on non-vegans. I mean, I just went vegetarian in August. 
Yeah, because yeah, I when I knew you, it was like burgers and beers all the <laughs> right? time. Yeah, like, it's like no. <laughs> let me get bacon on my bacon. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean, like I that's really what sold it for me was like I eat meat like it's going out of fashion, and I love our food. So like, it's like from if a, I yeah. love our food, <laughs> then why wouldn't anyone else? Yeah. And it's really gotten in the community really well. Even now, I'd say about like maybe about still half of our um, customer base is still non-vegan, non-vegetarian. But they tend to be prep people that trend healthy. You know, they just want to have healthier food more often. Yeah. But well, you like, guys also do like... like great. Like we got people like we have so many customers in like... Uh, three block radius yeah it's really cool i could totally understand like that being like my local like go-to diner like it's like you know you want some things that you can like you could order a salad or you could order mac and cheese like you can you have the both you're like yeah sometimes i'm feeling good sometimes i'm feeling bad like (laughs) um you guys do like you guys do like like traditional soul food too i mean like in done vegan yeah so the funny thing is that we are a soul food restaurant through other people's eyes. We don't really consider ourselves a soul food restaurant. Really? Funny. Yeah. That's funny. Um, the only way that we would say that we're soul food is that we cook from the soul. And we, is there we any put other love way to cook? into it. <laughs> well, if it ain't made with love, then it ain't fit to suck. Like some people just want it to look pretty. Yeah. And it's like it doesn't taste like anything. And it's just, it's whatever. That's not us. Yeah. And so. To us, soul food is like you got ribs, you got, you know, mac, collards, and we have those things, but they're our specials. Our mac and cheese we have all the time, but like our collards is one of our specials. And it's like we make Moroccan chicken. We, um, we've made uh, shrimp parmesan. Um, we've made curry dishes. So it's like the food that we make is really, uh, really diverse um, mm. worldwide. Mm. And so we don't really want to pigeonhole ourselves like that into being a soul restaurant because it's not really what we're about. We're the food yeah, you love veganized. Yeah. You know, okay. That's our slogan. Like we're the food you, we, we make the food you love veganized. I so love if, veganized. Yeah. So I'm glad that you brought up the food because I think that for a lot of people, if you start to care about you, your food, finding places that you can trust of like what the food is about, becomes important especially if you know you're someone who's vegan you're gonna be like is this really vegan you know like you have to go through a lot of steps you know these are probably people too who want to know where the food comes from yeah sort of thing (laughs) this guy right yeah my friends always make fun of me about it but it's you know no i understand garbage in garbage out you're like the portlandia skin and you feel good I mean, you have a good relationship with this farm. We I do. Mean, is that some guy on a yacht who lives in Miami? Oh, who's goodness, just no. saying that he's organic. I'm not that extreme, but... <laughs> nah, I, I, but listen, I, I dig it. I, I totally do. Like, um, as a vegan restaurant, we get... I would think that we get a lot more difficult questions than at non-vegan restaurants. But that means that all those people flock to us because they know that they tend to be able to. Anyone who has dairy allergy, go vegan. You know, mm-hmm. anyone who has an egg allergy, vegan. You know, anything that has to do with animal product allergy, you go vegan and you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so... Well, and it's also nice to know that that there's like a local place in your community that actually cares that it's like... You know, because sometimes, like, I have, I'm not vegan. I do have some dietary restrictions, but I used to not. I have friends who are vegan for, like, serious health reasons. 
And I remember one day we went to a really, really expensive restaurant and we just kept telling him like, she's vegan, she can't have dairy, can't have, you know, and she's not a pushy person, but I can't tell you how, like, even in one of the nicest restaurants we've ever been in, we're explaining this. Yeah, we can accommodate that. They brought her a Caesar salad. Of course, right? With <laughs> like with, with the Parmesan and everything. And like, the creamy she didn't want to, yeah, she didn't want to send it back. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, do you, like... You, you you have to, and it's nice to know that people are like gonna listen and say like, "Hey, like this is a serious thing." Yeah, yeah. Can yeah. you accommodate? We're we're really strict about it too. Um, like we're vegan. There's no two ways about it. We read all the ingredients on everything we buy, you know, to make sure that it's not vegan. I mean, it's not an animal product. And there's some stuff like um, some chemical compounds that contain animal products that you have to know what the chemical compound yeah. is. So like we look that up when we don't know it. We just Natural recently flavors. got our beer and wine license. Like we made sure that all of our, thank you very much. We made sure that all everything we're buying is fully vegan and we try to do organic and non-GMO as much as possible. Cause you know, I, I personally eat the food 13 times a week. Yeah. You know, um, and can I say, you look like you look really great. I like, I knew you years ago back in the cheeseburger days. Cheeseburger <laughs> bacon days. No, no, like, but you just like, you look like you're, you're so much like smilier. You're like, you just like see it like you're, you have more energy. You just like, yeah. Yeah. And no, a lot of that's you, due to the diet for sure. Yeah. Um, you're repping. You're repping physically. You're repping. Well, thank you for trusting us <laughs> in letting us ask you questions and <laughs> totally like, you know. Yeah, it's surprising you with the topic and everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I mean, I think that, uh, no, when we spoke about this the first time, I told you it's going to be nothing but trust. Just bring me in there and we'll. Put one foot in front of the other. Oh, the long con. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks again so much. Um, yeah, if you sure. you guys should definitely check out Seasoned Vegan. Yep. We're on uh, at 55 St. Nicholas Avenue on the corner of 113th Street in Harlem, New York. Harlem World. What? You guys deliver? We do deliver. We How deliver from deliver? Uh, 96th Street to 135th Street from river to river. And if you have Postmates, we deliver anywhere. <laughs> Postmates? Yeah, Postmates. It's um, like, yeah. <laughs> it's like Uber Rush. Uh, there are these two... Um, Food they, delivery from anywhere you want, essentially. There you ah. go. Thank you. <laughs> the short version of... A, a, a more, way more expensive delivery service. Yes. Ah. But you can get Harlem to Brooklyn. Ah. You just got to pay for it. Um, yeah, and the website is... www.seasonvegan.com. We're on... Uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Season Vegan. And uh, yeah. yeah, I think that's cool. The yeah. of us. Awesome. Well, you can find us and more about uh, all those links and show notes on our website, chillandambitious.com. Uh, you can also find us on social medias uh, and Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, Periscope, um, and under at chill ambitious yes um and if you have any feedback that you want to give us send it our way we love it um make sure you rate us on itunes yes we're also on give SoundCloud. us all the stars give us so many stars 
Um, and yeah, thanks for listening. We love you. Bye. Water, stay hydrated. My health, I won't violate it. So thankful for my lady, vegan mashed potato gravy. She made.